Romans chapter 5, beginning in verse 18, and then into chapter 6, verse 4. Ephesians 5, beginning in verse 18. And be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, Submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord, the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife even as himself and the wife see that she reverence her husband. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment, with promise, that it may be well with thee, and thou mayest live long on the earth. And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Thus far, in the reading of God's Word. And let Dear congregation, I, I will begin this, this message by reading the, the three places where we find the command for children to obey their parents, first in Exodus 20, verse 12, as we've read already in the law, but I'll read again verse 12, and then I'll go to Deuteronomy um, chapter 5, and then to Ephesians, which is the main text um, this Lord's Day morning. Exodus 20, verse 12, the first place where the fifth commandment comes to us, we read, Honor thy father and thy mother that thy days may be long upon the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. In the most simple form. And then in Deuteronomy chapter 5, there God inspired Moses to to add a few words, um, which sounds a lot like how we read it in Ephesians. So Deuteronomy 5.16, Honor thy father and thy mother, as the Lord thy God hath commanded thee, that thy days may be prolonged, and that it may go well with thee in the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. And then as we go to Ephesians, the one detail that is very emphatic is that now God's people have been for many years in the promised land. They even experienced a phase of 70 years in which they were exiled out of the land, But then, in God's grace, returned into the land. They've received their promised Messiah. And Apostle Paul, as he writes to the Ephesians, he will make reference to that very command. And and you need to realize this detail. It it would have been um, hundreds and even thousands of years 
from where the command was given originally. And you see how God's word never changes. So Paul writing to the churches in Ephesus, in chapter 6, he says, verse 1, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with thee, and that thou mayest live long on the earth. There he makes a general reference, not to the promised land, but to the earth itself, which even has a connection with not only God's people who were promised um, Palestine, Canaan, but also all of God's people who are promised um, to inherit this earth. But then, of course, in terms of, of eternity, it is the promised land, meaning heaven itself. And then verse 4, um, Paul adds this, what, what you could say is in essence uh, uh, an explanation that that command contains this, this is implied, verse 4. And ye fathers, and certainly this would refer to the mothers as well, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Well, with this command, the fifth command, we begin to see our duty to our fellow men. This, this is what we call the second table of the law. Um, this, this very command is our duty to those who are over us in direct authority, especially father and mother, but it, it implies and, and applies to every form of government in the world that we need to give honor to, to presidents, to officers, to kings. And then the other commands, from command six on, it is our duty to all our equals, duties to one another. Um, and it follows, of course, the first four commands that we have considered, which relates to our duties to, to the supreme one over all. The first four commands, we are um, in submission to the Father. This fifth command is teaching children to be in submissive to their father and mother. And then all other commands are how we are to be mutually submissive to one another. So as I said, this is called now the second table of the law. And, and there's a, a beautiful reference um, when we think of, of, of what we're doing right now. And, and, and a flow as we see how the commands follow one another. One is this detail. Remember when Jesus, he summarized the law in terms of the greatest commandment, which is to love God with all our heart, soul, and mind. And the four, first four are teaching us how to do this. How do you love God with all your heart, soul, and mind? Well, you begin by having no other gods. You continue by worshiping God as He prescribed. You, you honor His name and His person. And you remember His day to keep it holy. You worship Him together as a, as a body on the day He prescribes. And that's how we love God, with all our heart, soul, and mind. But remember that Jesus said that there's a second command that is likened to it. That is, that we would love our neighbor as ourself. And so, the very first command that begins this teaching us how do we love our neighbor, well, it begins with our family. Not necessarily our neighbor out there, but those closer to us. That a husband, that a father, that a, that a child to, to their parents. We, we are the neighbors that we are to love one another. When, when the second command begins, that is summarized, the love to neighbor, it's emphatic to see that it begins with the family. It begins with children obeying their parents. And it is implied, of course, as Paul brings it, that parents are to be loving nurturers and instructors of their children. And so the love to neighbor begins in the home. Love from parents to children and from children to parents. And, and we're being taught that this is how children love their parents, by obeying. This is how parents love their children, by instructing them and nurturing them and not provoking them to anger. Love is in action. It is not primarily an emotion. And we are being told how this action is to be worked out. 
And it is through submission. It is through loving nurture. And this is what we're, we're considering. And Calvin, he, he summarizes the, the fifth commandment this way. He says, It cannot be doubted, but that all duties of piety towards parents are here comprised, to which children are laid under obligation by natural reason itself. And these may be reduced to three heads, that they should regard them with reverence, that they should obediently comply with their commands and allow themselves to be governed by them, and that they should endeavor to repay what they owe to them and thus heartily devote them themselves and their services. This third is the, the honor shown even as parents become um, older and are needing the children now to care for them. So, just one little word before we go to our first point. The first and fourth commandment, the first through fourth commandment, all introduce us to our family in heaven through our God. It is our heavenly family. This fifth commandment all the way to the tenth will introduce us to our family here on earth, how we relate to one another as a family. Again, the the first four is the honor that is due to the great Father of all. Um, Everyone ought to come to God and have Him as their Father. And, and serve Him that way, and be submissive to Him that way. The very fifth command, which we are today, has this, this singular reality in, in that, that, is, that is parallel to the first four in an earthly way, which is the honor due to the earthly parents. See, the first four, all of us honor our Heavenly Father. This fifth one, all of us are to honor our, our earthly father and mother. And then the sixth and tenth is the honor that all of us do to people everywhere. It is mutual honor. Parents honor children. Children honor parents. We honor our neighbors. We we see the property of a neighbor and we honor it. We don't steal it. We see the life of a neighbor and we don't take it, but we help it prosper. And so the honor due to our great father, the great Father of all. And when I mean all, I mean, of course, of God's people. And all those who are not God's people ought to come to Christ so that God will be their Father too. The fifth command, the honor due to our earthly parents. And this is where we are today. Let me, at this moment, read Lord's Day 39 as we find it in the back of our Psalters. This is page 75, question 104. And, and as, a, as a summary, and to bring back to our minds, I'll, I'll begin by reading um, Lord's Day 38 first. This is what we considered last time, um, the, the third, the fourth commandment about the Lord's Day. And then we'll be reading Lord's Day 39. So question 103 first. What does God require in the fourth commandment? First, that the ministry of the gospel and the schools be maintained, and that I, especially on the Sabbath, that is, on the day of rest, diligently frequent the church of God to hear His word, to use the sacraments, publicly to call upon the Lord, and contribute to the relief of the poor as becomes a Christian. Secondly, that all the days of my life I cease from my evil works and yield myself to the Lord, to work by His Holy Spirit in me, and thus begin in this life the eternal Sabbath. And this is where, that was the last command, where we as children reverence our Father, like direct commands between us and children, us and God as our Father. And then Lord's Day 39, question 104, what does God require in the fifth commandment? that I show all honor, love, and fidelity to my father and mother and all in authority over me and submit myself to their good instruction and correction with due obedience and also patiently bear with their weaknesses and infirmities since it pleases God to govern us by their hand. And so... The, the, the notice that the question also shows it doesn't mean that now we're speaking only earthly in earthly terms 
when we honor our father and our mother, we are through that honoring our God because that is the order he has established. So we, we haven't ended our honor of God and our obedience to God. It continues, but you understand what it means that now it's in reference directly to how we relate um, to one another. So in our first point, we will look at the obedience and honor that are the direct words regarding the command, obedience and honor. Our second point, we'll look at the first commandment with a promise. We will look at the promise that is given, this, this reason why we should obey this command. And then our third point, we'll be looking at verse 4 in Ephesians 6, um, the nurture and admonition, the, the one implication, what is implied to parents. And, and notice, as, as a parent, we look at this command, and there, there are two dimensions for you. We're still, some of us still have our parents alive, and, and even, even after the Lord takes them, we still have to honor them. And while they're alive, we honor them still, and we have this element of obedience and of honor and of reference to them. And, and if you are a child, you're not a parent yet, but you are to obey like all of us parents are to honor our own parents. And then once you are a parent, this command is implying to you that you need to raise them in this nurture and admonition of the Lord. So that will be our third point. So first of all, the obedience and honor. Now when the command says, children, obey your parents, a, a word as simple as obey is good for us to speak about because this is, this is where we go wrong. We, we, instead of obeying, we disobey. Instead of honoring, we, we dishonor. What is obedience? It is simply to follow one's commands to follow the demands, to say, um, to do what someone says we ought to do, to do as your parents instruct you, to wake up when you must wake up, to eat rightly what you must eat, to study well, to do your chores, to clean your room, to help with all that is possible. If you have siblings, you share the load with Love, And I'm sure you, your parents do say that you should do certain things and your brother or sister should do other things. And you look at each other and you, you respect that each one has a certain chore that might be together, might be separate, but you, you just follow through. You are kind. You are generous. And see, as you're living in that way, you, you are obeying. That, that's, a, that's a day-to-day element of obedience. But of course, the, the foundation of this obedience goes deeper. And, and this is where we as parents have to take note. It, it is not that we as parents are like taskmasters and our children has to simply do, as we say, the main um, weight in the heart of a father and a mother is that we are teaching our children primarily to obey the Lord. And this is why it says, nurture and admonition of the Lord. And, and so, of course, there has to be order in the home, and everyone needs to do a little something, and someone will have to take the trash, and someone wash the dishes. And so we, we try to be reasonable, and we distribute among our children and ourselves these chores. But the primary thing we're talking about when we speak of obedience is a father and a mother teaching their children, who God is and what He has revealed to us about Him and what He demands of us. What we are to obey, not as unto a father and mother as if it stops there, but unto our Father in heaven and it stops there. That is our primary task. Our primary task is fathers and mothers. And this is what, what the, the phrase good instruction in, in Lord's Day 39, when it says that um, to submit myself to their good instruction, that is a summary of, of God's word. Any, any instruction beyond God's word that, that goes against God's word is not good instruction. 
And, and, it, and of course, again, you go to life and a father may explain how to fix something that broke in the home. And of course, you can say that is a good instruction. And the son will then do the same thing that the father taught. There's, that's, that's life being lived out. And a child should do if the father asks him and the, father, the child is able to fix that. When the, when the child is doing that, it's not necessarily that they're obeying the instruction to fix that problem. They're, that child is learning to obey orders that are given in love and in guidance. And you see, ultimately, then that child is learning how to obey God. That's why if a, if a parent gives any kind of instruction that either goes contrary to God's word, but it's an unreasonable demand like to ask a third-year-old to fix a certain thing, and that child looks at you helplessly saying, I can't do it, Daddy. You know, we, we don't call that disobedience. We call that a bad teaching. But as we teach even things of this world, and there's this reasonable reality to it, that son or daughter, they're learning how to obey God. So children, when you hear from your parents saying, you know, you you must read your Bible. You must have a time where you open the Bible and begin to read it. And then follow with a time of prayer. Those are very precious teachings of a father and a mother. And, and again, it's amazing how this command is so weighty to our own hearts. We, as parents, need to be found reading our Bibles and having times of prayer to be examples <clears throat> to our children. When, when parents say, young children, you know, it's time to get ready for church. Let's be ready. Let's get there in time. They, they have an interest that, that you would be here in church, that you would be worshiping the Lord, that you would be early to hear the Sunday school classes and to, to hear the, the Bible verses that are being memorized and being a part of, of church life. When your parents bring you to church for you to hear God's word, for you to be instructed in God's word and meet God's people and sing hymns of praise. Those are the, the best ways. This is the, the central way that we are instructing and nurturing our children and what it means for children to obey. Matthew Henry, he, he put it this way. He said, Come when they call you. Go where they send you. Do what they bid you. Refrain from what they forbid you. And this as children, cheerfully and from a principle of love. And, and with the love and the cheerfulness is what leads us to that second word, the word honor. So obedience is to follow the commands and primarily with that focus of the commands of God. And then secondly, the honor. Um, <clears throat> the honor is speaking of the attitude. So if, if the obedience has to do with the action, the honor has to do with the heart. Obedience has to do with, with the duty, and honor has to do with the attitude. And so God wants of, of us as children not only to follow our parents and our mother and father and do what they say, but that we would do it with a love in our hearts, with a, with a, with a high estimation. Um, it's, it's the opposite of thinking lightly of our parents, of disrespecting, of either speaking evil of them or thinking evil of them, or even of disobeying and disdaining them. And, and it's the word honor that brings that reality of care. Um, as, as you grow, um, the relationship slowly is less on the sense that you are to obey a father and mother, and you begin where you are to honor that father and mother. Of course, as that father may be um, in his 50s, and, and let, let's say you are in your 30s, but if your father or mother do guide you to see something in God's Word that is wrong, uh, that you're doing wrong, yes, you, you would say you obey your parent and what they're saying, but again, because you're obeying God's Word. But you understand what I mean, that as you get older, there's less of the obedience of do this and go there, and there's more the honor as as highly esteeming them and even getting to a point where you need to care and love them 
And in many ways, these, these years that you would have little children and you as parents are investing in your little ones, doing what they cannot do, that there will be a time that you will not be able to do what is normal and the procedures of life. And you will need help. And little children, as you grow up, think that in your heart that as, as your parents reach that point, you, you will show honor to them and respect in that way. Um, Philip Graham Riken, he said, To honor one's parents, therefore, is to give due weight to their position. It is to give them the recognition they deserve for their God-given authority. To honor is to respect, to esteem, to value, and prize fathers and mothers as gifts from God. And that, that word weight comes from the very word honor. Because the word honor um, has this sense, in the Hebrew, it has this sense of weightiness. It's even the word that is used for the glory of God. It's the sense of a, of, of a sense that something really matters, that something is very valuable. And so with honor, you will take your father and mother in, in, a, in a weighty sense. You will take them very seriously and not lightly. You will consider them with great respect and not disrespect. Um, we, we know that we live in a world that, that is teaching exactly the opposite. That they even bulk on the very weightiness. And, and wouldn't you agree with that, that even when we think of, of how the standards were in the past, and, and we may see children that perhaps are in a home, and, and the father or mother arrive, and the children stand up and, and, and come to them in an honorable way to say hello. We, we feel there's a weightiness to it. Well, there's, there's a sense in which that weightiness is, is really proper, because it is what the word honor means. Now, of course, it is never right to be in a sense where a father or a mother are, are expecting that kind of respect without any kind of familial love and relationship. That's, that's not what we're speaking of. But we're speaking simply in the sense of, of a common sense of honor and respect. And we know that the world is today encouraging children to rebel against that, encouraging parents that if you're going to demand any kind of such respect, you are being oppressive over them, that that is something that is, that is detrimental. Um, we live in very difficult days. But it's not only today. Um, one man once said this, a very important man, and it sounds very, um, very recent, he said, youth today love luxury. They have bad manners, contempt for authority, no respect for older people, and talk nonsense when they should work. Young people do not stand when adults enter the room. They contradict their parents, talk too much in company, guzzle their food, lay their legs on the table, and tyrannize their elders. This is a quote from Socrates. 400 years before the Lord Jesus Christ. So it's not a new thing that young people have been known to think that they have the freedom to disrespect their parents. But the Bible speaks loudly against that kind of attitude. Even, again, in a way that would be weighty to us. And, and the world would look at these things that the Bible says, and, and, and they can't even understand this dimension. But we, we find in Leviticus 20, verse 9, that the capital punishment is to be offered to children who dare curse their parents. And then remember in Deuteronomy 21, 18 through 21, also, the capital punishment is to be given to children who insist and persevere and who are stubborn in their rebellion against their parents. And, and the whole concept is this, a son or a daughter who dare be disrespectful to the point of cursing or openly, defiantly, determinately rebelling against their parents, they are a danger to society at large. And in terms of God, the principle is this. <clears throat> if you will disobey your father and your mother, who are your authority on earth, what will keep you from disobeying your God, who is your authority over all? 
And so we, we see that, yes, in society today, the, 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 the tides are not good. We need to go against it. We need to teach our children to honor father and mother. And we as parents need to be loving fathers and mothers. And notice this one detail before we, we go to our second point. It's fathers and mothers. You know, God's Word, we had just finished reading in Ephesians. It does say for wives to be submissive to husbands, for husbands to be loving their wives. And there is that order of, of in the home between wives and husbands. And lest anybody would think differently, no. Um, the honor that is to be given from children is to both father and mother, not to father alone and not to father a little more than to a mother. Some would argue, well, but the order is honor your father and mother. Yes, in the commands, but it's not always that way. Um, what I'll remind you is Leviticus 19.3, which we read, Every one of you shall revere his mother and his father, and you shall keep my Sabbaths. I am the Lord your God. It, it, it is clear that God desires equal honor from a child to a father and to a mother. They are both together in this authority over the children. And, and in verse 4 of Ephesians, where fathers are singled out, I've read in commentaries that it's, it's not, of course, to say that w- mothers are not, in, not, not to nurture and admonish. Of course they are. But perhaps fathers are singled out because that negative implication, provoke not your children to wrath, is generally seen as a weakness of fathers and not of mothers. More often than not, you have fathers who provoke children to wrath than you have mothers who do it. Mothers are typically more tender and more loving and more kind. And here God is using fathers to imply you as leaders of the home. Make sure you do not be the one who is oppressive over your children. And so the beauty of both parents being involved in this need for obedience and need for honor to be honored. And so secondly, the first commandment with a promise. Let let us look the reason why children are given to honor and obey your parents. Because this is what it is. Um, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, that it may be well with thee, and that thou mayest live long on earth. This is a promise, but it's also a reason. And and the, the reason this is important to be put together is that the way you can imply what God is saying here, not, not really imply, but just as a conclusion, is that God is asking this. Why, why are you supposed to obey? What is the reason given here in the Bible for you to obey? And the answer through the text is this. Because if you obey, you will live long. You will live well in the land which the Lord your God has given you. Your life will be prolonged. If you obey. And to the people in the Old Testament, since they were going toward the promised land, that that land was given as a promise. It was saying, live through the wilderness in obedience. That, That is your guarantee that you'll arrive at the land. So if a child were to say, Daddy, why do I need to obey? That child, that father could say, So that you live. So that you don't just see the land, but you have your feet in it. So that you live well. You'll see what God is doing. He is making use of our hearts, of our natural human tendencies, because everyone wants to live. Everyone wants to live well. Everyone likes possession, especially when you think of a land that you can have a farm and you can have agriculture, and you can have a home and a barn, and, and you can plant and harvest. That's what a land means. And God is literally making use of what is so earthly and a basic human instinct for life and for prosperity. And he's saying, that's why you obey. Now we understand through God's word, that's not the only reason why we obey. And it would be wrong if that is your primary or even your only reason. Even though it's the reason given in the command. God, of course, could have said, this is why you obey your parents, because I have told you so. God could have said that. He could have said, because it will bring me honor, that's why you obey. 
He could have even said things like this. If you children obey your parents, your home will be stable. And stable homes make a stable nation. So this is why you obey. So that it will go well for the entire country. Those are all things God could have said. Of course, we we know by other biblical principles, this is the primary reason why we should honor and obey our parents, so that God is glorified. That's the answer always for everything. That's why we exist for the glory of God. Why do I obey and honor my mom and dad? So that God will be ultimately glorified. So we understand that, but it's emphatic to know that God did not say this right now, He literally made, like I said, He made use of our natural emotions and passions and desires, elements that are good when they're kept in balance. Why? Of course, to stimulate us to obey. God here has an interest, children and young people and all of us who have living fathers and mothers and who want to respect the honor of our parents who may have left. He wants us to be stimulated unto this obedience. And He gave us this promise, this very basic promise of life. And the Bible has many examples of how this follows through. If you think primarily of those very first people who heard this, now think of, of Israel. They had just left Egypt. They crossed the Red Sea. They received the law. And, and those adults and children are being told that if they live in honor of their parents, they will receive the promised land. Now, they didn't know yet how long it would take to get there. But as soon, remember, as that happened, where, where they sent the spies and they came back crying and scared and wanting to go back to Egypt, then God said, well, now you will stay for 40 years. And it didn't take long as they, as they pilgrimaged through the land that they realized this is dangerous because they started seeing people die. They started seeing fire burning people. They started seeing famine come and people die of thirst. They started seeing the, the snakes come and bite them and they had poison. And, and all the while it hung over them, honor your father and your mother and you'll live and you'll enter the land of promise. See, what God was saying to all the survivors, there's there's one way to arrive in the promised land. You left Egypt, the the trek is not over. There's a Jordan to cross and enter Canaan. And the one way to get there is honor your father and your mother. Now we know that there were thousands who didn't do that. And they dishonored, of course, primarily God. They rebelled, complaining that there wasn't enough food and water, complaining that all they had was manna, saying they wanted to go back to Egypt. And those were all the people that were dying by the way. God was preparing that people to understand obedience to father and mother gives you life. It's a good thing. So we have those examples. And then as they arrived in the land, we have some examples. I'm just going to, to, to name a few, like Hophni and Phinehas. They were the sons of Eli. They, they, they weren't very old. They, they were probably in their 30s or 40, and they died together in that same battle against the Philistines. Nadab and Abihu, um, they were still young. They had their father, Aaron, who was older, but they died together when they did not offer, sacrifice, offer in the temple um, how God wanted them to do so. And they offered strange fire. And, and we have many other examples of, of sons, usually sons in the Bible, who did not have a comfortable life and who either died early or certainly not in their elderly years. And then you can think a, a list of many who, they were not perfect, but they did have an element of honor and obedience to their parents. And those were Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and Moses and Joshua and Caleb and Samuel and Aaron and David and Ruth and Isaiah and Hannah and Jehoshaphat and Hezekiah and many others who lived long and generally well. Some of these Enter the promised land. Some were already there when, when, when they were believers. And there was at least one who at least saw it. Moses. 
And so <clears throat> this is our, our second point, the first commandment with the promise. God, God is making use of a natural tendency of our hearts to stimulate us to obey this command. And then thirdly and fourthly, the, the nurture and admonition part of this command. And, and there, there are two, um, of course, elements to talk about. One is the not provoking your children to wrath. And then the positive element of what you do is you nurture and you instruct. That's the admonition. Just one word first about the, the provoking them, not provoking them to wrath. That, that is the idea of exasperating them, of leading them to becoming embittered. It is a, a way, God is saying there's a, it is wrong to be angry, but it is also wrong to live in a way where you're driving someone else to be angry. It is wrong to be bitter. But maybe there's something you're doing that is causing someone to be bitter. And, and we need to understand, young people and, and all of us, you, you might be a 40-year-old who is bitter at your parents. It is sinful to be bitter. But it's also sinful to provoke that bitterness. And so if you have provoked it, you must repent of that. If you are bitter in your heart or with anger, you must repent of that. And we're being taught here that as parents, we need to be careful not to be the ones who provoke this. <clears throat> and it's typically provoked through discipline done in a wrong way. I can, I can single out at least four wrong ways to discipline that may be used to provoke a child to anger. One is if you discipline them excessively. And it's connected with that if you discipline them without love. If you discipline them and do not explain why you did it, so that they're left wondering what, what was wrong. Was mom or was dad just impatient? Or if you don't discipline them at all. And that's the extreme, right? You can be excessive or you can be completely passive. See, if you have no discipline, <clears throat> well, if you, if you have no explanation, and if you do no discipline, the problem is that you're provoking them to anger in the sense that they're not even learning what it is that they send. And, and even the anger, perhaps, that they're having, they're, they're not being told to understand that, that it's a sin to be angry. Discipline in excess and without love provokes them to anger, because they're learning from yours. You're angry and you discipline them in an angry way and then it provokes them to anger. Well, they learned that anger with you. So the best thing to do when discipline is involved is to, to carefully identify the sin. Spend time in your own mind thinking, was a sin committed? And what sin was it? What will I explain my child? What commandment? Did he or she break? In what way did it offend the Lord? And then spend time explaining that. Of course, you can only do that at a certain age when they can understand. And then that will help you because as you do your homework, you might realize it really wasn't a sin. It was really just childhood um, <clears throat> ways where, where, yes, they're perhaps not being too careful, but it's not so much that they did it in malice. And you might find very often it is that we as parents didn't have it the way we wanted, and we were impatient. <clears throat> we just finished cleaning this, and now it's a whole mess. And you're really just disciplining because you're offended, not really God. And so it's good to go through this little homework so it gives us time to calm down to evaluate, to see if there's really something biblical. And then we sit with our child and we explain. And after, immediately after you discipline, <clears throat> I believe this is so important, is that you would hug that child and embrace them and you assure them of your love. Tell them you love them. Pray with them. Assist them to ask forgiveness to you or to whoever they may have also offended. And God's word is, is replete with instruction in this way. Again, the, the world always 
tries to give their own methods, their own ways, and they shy away from, from <clears throat> discipline. But God's word is very emphatic. It, it teaches us not to spare the rod, Proverbs twenty three thirteen. Not even to be afraid of using it. Do not withhold discipline from a child. <clears throat> if you strike him with a rod, he will not die. And then we're encouraged. We're encouraged, first of all, that discipline can even help that child in terms of salvation. And it's, of course, in the sense that it will make that child understand that there is sin and there is good. And that sin is evil. And so <clears throat> look at Proverbs twenty three fourteen. If you strike him with the rod, you will save his soul from Sheol. Because that child will understand there is right and there is wrong. Um, it, it will also help that child understand that there is what is wise and what is foolish. Proverbs twenty nine fifteen. The rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. <clears throat> and at the end of the day, this loving form of discipline is even a proof that you love your child. And that's from Proverbs 13:24. Whoever spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. And just to end this this Last point before a couple conclusions. Discipline is not the only thing we are to give our children. I do believe it's through discipline often that we may provoke them to wrath or lack of discipline. But it speaks of nurture and admonition. This, this means we are to give them love. We are to give them instruction and counsel. We are to give them example and encouragement. We are to pray for them. And we are to pray with them. We are to provide for them. To care for them. To guide and to protect them. Um, I, I have known children who perhaps because they're growing a little older and a mother or father or mother wanted to... to give some aspect of discipline wasn't preparing food for that child no that that is not a way of discipline god's word does not give that as a method that is an that is an earthly method and even even the world looks upon that in an evil way but then also a child who who is not praying perhaps because that child never sees a father or mother pray that that is a, a spiritual neglect one may be a physical neglect but you might be spiritually neglecting your child. And both of those are a way of emotionally neglecting a child. And so let us remember that we can give all these things. We can give our example. We can give our love and prayers. And the most important thing to give, and I close with this, is to teach our children the perfect son the one who always obeyed his father in everything, even to the point of death, and who honored his father in his life. Even though he was God, he honored his father and literally put himself below his father. He said, the father is greater than I. And when he was saying this, he was simply elevating the Father in his glory. But he wasn't saying that God has more glory than him as a son. But it was just showing this heart of filial love from son to father. I mean, of course, the Lord Jesus Christ. When he came to this world, he said that what he says is what the Father gave him to say. What he does is what the Father commanded him to do. And even his dying was in obedience of a command of the Father so that he would be a sacrifice for his people. And even his rising again was in obedience to the Father. And he's not only our example, of course, he's our substitute. So boys and girls, young men and women and, and us as adults who, who acknowledge that in our lives we did not honor and obey our parents as we ought. And now as we have living parents, we need to honor them and we, we feel ashamed and broken <clears throat> that we're not perfect sons and daughters. But we have Jesus as our perfect son, not only as an example, but as the one 
who cleanses us of all our sins. Every disobedience of the fifth commandment, you can go to Christ and He will cleanse you. He will forgive you. And He will give you the perfect obedience. He will, in the, in the, in the presence of the Father, He will give you the righteousness as one who is perfect as a son and as a daughter because all your sins are forgiven and His righteousness is given to you. And so Jesus is the one that we go to. Jesus is the one that we should teach our children to know and to believe in, to follow and to obey because all of us need the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the perfect Son and He is the one who nurtures us, nurtures us, and who admonishes us, and who never provokes us to anger. He only provokes us to love and to holiness. And so let us learn of our Savior, and let us be forgiven by our Savior, and acknowledge how much we need Him. Amen. Let us close. Our gracious Lord and Savior, we thank Thee for Thy Word, and we pray that Thou would help us to be sons and daughters who honor our fathers and our mothers. We pray, Lord, that Thou would bless Thy church here on earth, not only our local congregation, but Thy church throughout the whole world, to fight against the tendencies to de-establish the family, to, <clears throat> to fight against the models of authority. We pray, Lord, that we would have our homes full of the love of the Lord Jesus Christ, that we as parents, Lord, would learn these precepts to nurture our children, to admonish them, to be examples of Christ and to lead them to Christ. And Lord, that that all of us would see our great need of the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank Thee, Lord, for Jesus. We thank Thee that He obeyed Thee, even to the point of death, so that we could be forgiven, so that we could be Thy people, so that we could be sons and daughters through, through our elder son having given his life for us. We pray, Lord, that Thou would help us and strengthen us in all these ways. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.